And we're back to another live episode of the Guide B2B Jam Session podcast. The hottest B2B podcast in the world, right? If you're tuning in, say it with me. Show us some love in the comments because we have a phenomenal guest coming up. Man, Mr. Shane Snow, he's a guy that I have been probably like maybe stalking and tracking down for like the last few months just so we can get this episode in order. Man, Shane is an award-winning entrepreneur, rock star, explorer, and journalist. I mean, this guy is just a business leader and magnet. And, you know, I've really been for a long time a fan of his work around teams, how do you create dream teams? How do you form teams? How do you lead teams? And a lot of his work has actually inspired my leadership manifesto and how I see cultivating and really empowering teams to succeed. And Shane, he's worked in this area for quite some time. He has a few books on it that you definitely need to check out. We're going to be touching on one of them in this episode called Dream Teams. And he's going to be sharing some of his latest insights on it and where you can go pick up a copy. He's explored abandoned buildings and stores around the world. <laughs> We'll ask him why he's done that, because I'm sure there's a story behind that. He's eaten only ice cream for weeks in the name of science and taught hundreds of thousands of people to work better, better through his book and lead and build better teams through his books, including the number one business bestseller, Dream Teams. I'm excited to have Shane on the podcast. He's a he's a ball of authentic energy, and you always see that as well. But before I bring him on, if you are going to love this episode, if you already know Shane's work, let us know in the comments. In addition to that, please share this episode with your networks because I'm sure there's somebody that's tuning in, listening, or that needs to know of who Shane Snow is. And with that said, Shane, welcome to the episode, my friend. Thank you for that awesome intro. I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> you know, I try to do my best with these intros, especially when I have amazing guests like you. But how, how's everything going on in your world, man? How are you holding up? Because I know you're in New York City, right? Yeah, in New York, actually, I'm in the process of moving right now. So in the background, it looks like everything's fine. But the rest of the apartment is, you know, boxes and bags and chaos. Uh, (laughs) I mean, this is what everyone's going through right now. You have no idea, you know, what's just around the corner. You move the the webcam a little bit and you see that people are working out of their closet or their kitchen. So it's our next normal, man. It's our next normal. We're making it work. I would love for you to share a little bit more about one, you know, what inspired you to write your latest book, Dream Teams? And even before then, I want you to share a little bit about all of the amazing research you were already doing in this space. Uh, so I, I think that I identify primarily as a journalist, but yeah. that is driven by my kind of long standing curiosity. So as a kid, my dad was an engineer. He was always, you know, taking apart car engines and teaching me how they worked. And uh, and so I, I had this hunger for exploring things, trying to understand things. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the abandoned buildings thing, when I was uh, basically starting in middle school, I, I got into a habit of breaking and entering into, you know, I grew up in Idaho. So it was like barns and warehouses and, you know, like sewer culvert things for irrigation and, uh, you know, and a lot of hiking and that kind of exploring. And, and now as an adult, you know, when I travel around the world, I like to do urban exploring, uh, which is, you know, you find out what's the abandoned factory in the area and you figure out how to get onto the roof and take amazing pictures. So uh, just natural curiosity is part of of my thing, I guess. And, you know, during my career as a journalist and then as an entrepreneur, a lot of my writing has been driven by wanting to know, needing to know the answers to things. Mm. So Dream Teams was really born out of 
in my journey, I guess I, I started a, a media business, tech business, that was kind of an outgrowth of my work in journalism, covering business and technology. And then as I was running that business, my job changed from someone who does things to someone who helps teams do things. And, uh, and I, you know, I had anxiety around doing a good job at that. So I started writing, using journalism as an excuse to explore, you know, to interview great leaders and uh, to explore interesting teams, uh, you know, now and in history. And, uh, you know, that's sort of the tidy way of putting it. Really, I was fascinated by all sorts of things that, uh, that were sort of happening in the world or things that I saw as patterns. So, you know, one thing for a long time, I thought that the book would end up being largely about immigrant behavior mm. and not just geographic, but, uh, but also within industries. You know, someone moves from one place or one field or whatever to another place, and this causes, you know, friction and it causes tension and it causes adaptation. And so you see, you know, cities that have a lot of immigrant com- immigrants in the community tend to have, uh, tend to produce more patents. They mm. tend to have small businesses. Uh, you know, a lot of immigrants move to a new place and they the only job they can get is their own. So they, they're forced to be creative and, and launch something. And it's not an easy thing, but it leads to more invention. And yet at the same time, there's all sorts of things that happen. You know, people uh, have more fear and less voter participation uh, when, you know, there's a lot of people from different places in a city. So I wanted to explore that initially. And then that combined with my changing role as a team leader and mm. other things that I saw that all kind of added up to this idea that when different people come together, they can become more creative. They can push themselves and each other to work harder and smarter and do more interesting things. We can add up to more than the sum of our parts, but also when different people come together, we have problems, we're afraid of each other. And you see kind of both of those things manifest in the world today. We invent amazing things. We communicate, we collaborate, we build things, we make each other better, and we also destroy each other. Mm. So that's really the thing that I ended up wanting to explore with dream teams. And then, Eventually, the book took shape as really a book about understanding how people can become more than the sum of their parts, how we can harness the different ways that we see the world rather than let them kind of uh, turn us into who we don't want to be. And uh, yeah, so that, that's where the book largely came from. And it's still really an ongoing exploration because mm-hmm. there's, you know, teamwork is everything. Every, you know, your family is a team. You're building you live in as a team, your neighborhood, the whole world should think of itself as a team. And so, you know, there's so much to talk about there that can't fit in the pages of just one book. So that's, yeah. that's what I've been hard at work at. Yeah, Shane. No, I, and I love that you're saying you're still writing the book. <laughs> it's still being developed yeah. because, you know, it, it show it talk it speaks to the iterative nature of teamwork, but also the times that we're living in and all of the, you know, all of the contextual shifts that's happened recently with COVID-19. And I want to show love to Jimmy and Raj who are tuning in to your episode and they're already loving everything that you're putting out, man. Jimmy was like, simply put, what you're saying is true. <laughs> like nothing, nothing more, nothing less. Roger saying, pumped up to hear secret sauce, secret sauce from Shane. Shout out to you, Tim and Shane. I, he's an immigrant, and he totally relates to your story, Shane, of what you're sharing. And thank you for taking time to share your story with us today. So he's super excited to hear from you. Yeah. Stefan is saying, hi, Tim and Shane. Wonderful to be here and listen to your insight today. Hope you and everyone are well. Stefan, thank you so much, man. You are joining us on the livest the best B2B jam session podcast in the world right now. Shane, and I want to really go back to what you were sharing and the fact that there's a lot going on right now that actually speaks to some of the insights that you shared in Dream Teams. And I want you to, I want you to touch a little bit about, you know, 
from the research that you did, even before COVID-19, and I think it's even more timely right now, what were some of the practical takeaways that goes into leaders building dream teams, especially during crisis such as the one we're currently experiencing? So if you think about how a group of people can possibly be smarter together mm -hmm. than alone, there's something that uh, that's pretty fundamental, and it's basically that they can't think the same. So that, that's a starting point for dream teams, is if you have a group of people, if you and I, if we both think exactly the same, we're only gonna be, gonna be as smart as one of us. But if we think differently, there's potential for us to explore between our different ways of thinking and see something or learn something that neither of us could on our own. So that's kind of the fundamental premise. Two heads are only better than one if they think differently. But with thinking differently, and, and in the book I dig into, you know, what does it even mean to think differently and the way that scientists and mathematicians model out the useful kind of relevant ways that people can think differently. They model them out in terms of perspectives, so how you see and encode situations, heuristics, how you approach solving problems or doing things. There's also predictive models. What you've been through in your life and what I've been through in my life will cause us to predict different things given a set of circumstances. So if uh, you know we've lived different lives and we do think differently, we've had different training, then great. But that also means that I'm gonna work differently than you. I'm gonna have different values than you potentially. And that's going to create conflict potentially. You know, maybe we, we, uh, we're nice people, so we, we want to get along. So we'll actually kind of avoid talking about, like, I have some different values than you do. And like, we're just going to stay away from that. But what that means is you end up having, you know, a group of people that has the potential because they bring those different things to the party is also going to have potential for problems. And, mm. uh, and in the book, I talk about this as, you know, the ideal is what's called cognitive friction. So it's a productive kind of conflict that, hey, actually, you and I don't see things the same way. We're encountering some problems, so let's talk about it. Let's hash it out rather than, ooh, I really want Tim to like me. and I want us to stay on the same team, so I'm not going to argue with him when he says something that I don't quite get or that I don't agree with, where you know that argument, if we, we do it right, could actually lead us to, to realize, you know, I never thought of something that way, but also what about this thing on top of what you think that I can bring with my unique perspective? And so I think there's something really relevant right now going on with that is the remote work thing that we're all forced to do with our teams has exposed some dysfunctions that we have uh, mm. when it comes to teamwork that, you know, a lot of times we, we recruit people for culture fit because we want them to think like us. And, and, you know, I talk a lot about how that can be problematic, uh, but we do it because we want to avoid conflict. Uh, but we're all different. Now, even if we have a lot of things in common, we are all different. And this becomes exposed when we're all working from home. And some of us have families. Some of us have families that are on better behavior than others. Some of us have more space to work. Some of us have different uh, styles of work, yeah. right? And uh, you know, if you and I are in an office and we have a boss that forces us to be in at nine and end at five, and you know. We have this, we're up against the same kinds of distractions and our boss is kind of telling us we need to work in this way, that uh, we can do that. But what happens now is, you know, one of us is in a tiny apartment, the other one isn't, or I do my best thinking in the morning and you do your best thinking, you know, in the afternoon. And if we leaned into the way that we each can best work, Hmm. Then, uh, then we could actually get more out of us than than we could if we're sort of imposed this structure in an office. 
but also it means that the way that I'm going to communicate with you or the way that you're going to have time for me is going to be different. And so it complicates things, but it also opens up that like, Hey, if we and our teams can let go of forcing everyone to work by the same structure and the same style mm. and actually force us to adapt to whatever everyone's going through. But with that adapt to whatever everyone does best and focus instead of on like the process, like how are you doing things? I'm going to monitor the way that you're working. Instead, I'm going to focus on supporting you, clearing the way so that you can get work done. And I'll just focus on the deliverables as your boss. Mm. That ends up being a more ideal way to work with the team and to harness the team's differences. So if we did that in the regular office, it's like Tim works this way and Shane works this way. And as the boss, I'm going to realize how to get the most out of them and how to play their different ways of working and thinking off each other so that they can add up to more and be super smart together and roll together like an improv comedy troupe that just is continually funny or whatever it is. That's awesome. Um, but that's not usually how it works. We want the culture fit and the calm and the boss to just tell people work the way that I do or that I want. It's kind of like the math teacher that's like, show your work. And if you get the right answer right, but you do it a different way than I told you to, then it's wrong. Yeah. You know, we get rid of that when we have to work differently. So I see this sort of upside and downside to the chaos. And really that's kind of the theme mm. of dream teams is that with the ingredients that are that go into a group becoming smarter together comes chaos and friction and conflict. And so you can embrace that, lean into it, uh, and then encourage the kinds of behaviors that prevent it from getting personal and have all of that you know, sort of mixture of ideas and people be in the service of a grander idea, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. You know, and I love what you're talking about. We're now working in a, in a working environment where results and the deliverables matter, right? So a result in a results-oriented working environment, like no one sees the work happening, but it's happening. But the proof is in the product that's being developed, the project that's launched, all of that. And I want to ask you, and for some of the leaders that are listening, and for us all who want to be better leaders, who want to be better at shaping and growing our teams, what role does compassion and empathy playing in pushing through that cognitive friction? Yeah. So I, I recently have done quite a bit of writing and studying about trust. You know, people are talking a lot about how you need a lot of trust when you can't see each other's work process and when we're relying on you to deliver the product, but, you know, we're not, we're not there, you know, working together. And when you look at the factors of what makes two people trust each other or, you know, in a group of people, an interconnected web of trust that we might call psychological safety, when you look at what trust is built out of, there's three things that if they're done consistently, lead us to trust people. And we often focus on the least effective ones uh, at a time like this. And it has to do with the answer to your question uh, specifically around uh, compassion and empathy. So the first thing that we look for or that we do when we're trying to gain someone's trust is we try to prove that we're competent. Mm. I'm smart, I'm good at what I do, look at my resume, trust me, I can get the job done. The second thing that people want to prove is that I have integrity. You ask me to do something and I say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to deceive you. But the third thing ends up being the most important. The third element of trust is benevolence. Mm. That you believe that I will act kindly towards you. I will act with your best interest at heart. And it turns out that if benevolence isn't there, even if you have the other two, it's not going to work out. So this is what I call the Genghis Khan problem. Genghis Khan 
was extremely competent, really smart, really good at taking over and running cities. And, and he took over the largest empire in the world. He was very, very good. You could trust that he could wipe out a city. He could, you could trust that he could execute an economic and trade plan or whatever. And he also was big on the rule of, uh, ironically, you know, penalty of death. If you lie, you're going to die. If you betray someone, you're going to die. That was his big rule. So you always could take him at his word. Were you going to trust him if you weren't on his side? No. You didn't believe that he had your best interests at heart unless you were in his inner circle. And he killed a lot of people. So at work, when we want to build trust, the biggest thing we can do is prove to people, show to people that we have their best interests at heart, that we are benevolent, mm -hmm. that if our interests diverge, if they make a mistake, they have a lapse in competence, that we care about them anyway. And actually, you know, if you think about it, you can make a mistake at work and do something wrong. If people know that you're honest and that you have the right things at heart, they'll give you a second chance. You can even have a lapse of integrity, but if your heart is in the right place, then people will give you a second chance. It takes It's harder, but people will do that. But if you prove that you do not care about someone mm -hmm. and that if your interests diverge, you're going to do what's right for you or what you want, not what's good for them, then they won't trust you. And so for building relationships on teams in this time when you know it's harder than ever to know what each other's up to, we need to trust each other more. The best thing we can do is rather than showing, you know, I'm really good at this work thing and I'm getting my stuff done, it's showing that you care, yeah. showing that yeah. you are gonna be benevolent and charitable to people. And this, this manifests in doing little things, right? Checking yeah. in with people, yeah. being kind to people, uh, you know, being inclusive of everyone, not just checking in with your friends, uh, you know, checking in with everyone, giving people second chances. And, uh, and with that comes showing that you understand the, or that you want to understand what they're up against. So the empathy thing, if I'm working with you on your team, I'm going to try to get to know what your situation is. When are you going to work best? You know, do you have family that needs to be a priority? And if so, what can I do to make things easy on you as you know, we collaborate and I need things from you? How can I help smooth that out? How do you want to be communicated with? Do you not want me to email you, you know, if it's something urgent? If it's something urgent, you know, what are the criteria and should I text you? And if it's not urgent, how do I make sure that you know that you know, I need you to get back to me on this, but it's not urgent. It's really boundaries, right? What are the boundaries that you want us to give? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All of that shows that I have your best interest at heart. Wow. You know, we have this goal. We want to do work together, but I care about you. So yeah. then if we're ever in a situation where you're like, you know, Shane could do something that screws me over. I don't think he's going to mm -hmm. because I know he cares about me. So like, oh, I haven't heard from Shane, you know, on this project is going to leave me hanging. Well, I know that he cares and that he cares about me. So it's got to be something else. Let me check in with him and not accuse him of, hey, you're leaving me hanging, but say, hey, is everything okay? So mm. that's the kind of thing that I think is needed right now more than ever. And the good news is that will carry through, you know, that compassion and benevolence and empathy-based trust will carry through when we go back to in-person workplaces, if we go back to that. <laughs> if we ever go back to that former normal. That's no problem even for me as a, as a leader building an organization, because I think we often, we often, leaders often tend to lean on competency and integrity. And I think these are very more ego traits in a sense, mm -hmm. versus saying, how can we come from a place of benevolence and compassion? 
uh, when it comes to building trust. And I think it's so much harder to do that because it's often when you think about the, the textbook on leadership, it's like lead with the ego, lead with, oh, I, trust me because I'm, I know enough to make sure I'm care of you, right? Yeah. I have this handled, but you kind of also have to show a little bit of vulnerability in trust. And I love that you said benevolence because I think, you know, that's the word for it. <laughs> like how are you showing benevolence within the relationship with you and your team? I want to show love to our amazing, amazing, amazing community. Stefan is saying, you know, it's interesting. Everyone always talks about teams being on the same page, but variety is the spice of life and a variety of ideas also what sparks phenomenal ideas. And we must bring all of our passions and perspectives to the table and everyone should be listening to. I always love Tim's ideas about advancing everyone's unique talents. Shane, I love your perspective. What do you think? Thank you. <laughs> so Stefan is also saying, you know, Shane, your improv analogy is spot on. That's why a great improv is so incredible when the players brought together playing with and off each other are on on stage. You must love improv, Shane, because I think Stefan loves improv too. <laughs> Well, so in, in my first book, I spent a week with the Second City Improv Comedy School in Chicago. And uh, there's a lot of things that I think you can learn in business from that mm. form, that, that art form. Um, you know, the part about failing a lot and experimenting with things, you know, they, they do a lot where they combine stuff that they know will work in a show that they know will make people laugh. And then they test other stuff. It's really smart, very analogous to business. But I, I think the, uh, the way that an improv troupe will roll together. They they know that when they throw the ball, someone will catch it, even if they don't know the way that you'll take it, but they trust you with that ball when they toss the ball to you. It's, uh, you know, I, I think there's sports analogies here too, but it's, it's this idea that you are leaning into what everyone's bringing to the party and you have that amount of trust that, and you, you save each other, you know, in improv, it's like, if someone's drowning, you step in to save it. You don't let them you know, that's a very ego thing to do is like you show that I'm the best comedian because like, look at them drown, you know, and, and the audience is, you know, they're dying in front of the audience. You step in and you save uh, and you help out. And and I think that's where, you know, there's this balance with teams hmm. between the longer you work together, the more you'll start to converge on your way of seeing things, right? You You develop shared perspectives and shared ways of doing things because they're successful but you need to shake things up every once in a while, import more perspectives, import more people if you want to continue to be innovative. Mm. And so, and yet, you know, good improv comedy troupe is an example of a group of people who knows that they can roll continuously for a while. They do have to mix things up, try new things, and often bring new people in in order to make it fresh and not have it eventually kind of go the way of the buffalo. But, uh, but I think it's a really good analogy that the longer you work together, with people who are not just clones of yourself, the more magic you can make. So that, that you know, that trust takes some time. It's consistency is actually the fourth element of trust. Those other three things, the benevolence, the competence, the integrity. Every time you do those things consistently, the more it gets reinforced. So it's the same thing with, with working with your differences and getting the most out of them. Over time, you develop more trust that you can push things further. Another comedy thing, right? The further you can push the jokes, the further you can explore the fringes of what's possible and acceptable, the more interesting things become. And then if you are going over the cliff, someone rescues you, pulls you off the cliff. Man, that's, it's so, pro I, I feel as if I do study improv now. <laughs> I've, I've actually always wanted to go to an improv show, but I've never found the time. But you I know, think you'd be good at it. Yeah, these, these, these analogies between improv and just building an organization and team, like, 
that's a powerful parallel that I think a lot of leaders need to look into. And it even, you know, it causes you to think about how do you act on your feet, you know, when in a crisis like this, you know, last word, I want to give it to Sharice Jones, who has been tuning in. Thank you, Sharice, for being an amazing listener and member of our guide community. That's good, Shane, understanding the way we each work and how what we are energized by our work to contribute to larger vision is key. Love that so much, Mrs. Jones. Thank you so much for tuning in. You know, Shane, what's your powerful takeaway for our amazing guy community on how they can not only build dream teams in their own life, but lead their life? Because I think a lot of what you're sharing also applies to just personal development, too, man. Yeah, uh, I would say that uh, that we ought to start thinking of teams as a little bit less fixed than we do. That uh, even when I'm working on my own, I'm working towards my own goals, anyone can be potentially part of my team. You know, the person who leaves a nasty comment on my LinkedIn feed could be part of my team because they're helping me to see something that I didn't see. Maybe I can engage with them in a way that shows benevolence and actually learn from that nasty comment. Mm. You know, people who are- I get nasty comments all the time too, man. The people who have nothing to do with my area of expertise can teach me things. They can become part of my team. They can help me see what I, I don't see. They can help buoy me up. And so that's what I would say is that no matter what you're working on, your team can be a lot more broad and more open and more interesting than just the people who sign up to work for you who are getting paid you know, a salary. So, And I'd also say start. we need to start thinking of our communities as more of a team and and not team a versus team b you know fighting in the streets but but we all need to be a team if we're going to overcome the next thing that doesn't like the pandemic that doesn't care who we are you know we we all need to team up to you know to fight those kinds of threats and so i, I think expanding our definition of who can be on our team and uh and even if they don't agree with us on some things is very important Shane, it's truly been an honor having you on the show, man. Thank you for just the knowledge ball and teaching us, man. And and please, like, if you have not gotten dream teams, get it now and also get some of Shane's prior work. It's going to blow you away and you're going to learn a ton that you can apply right now in today's current context. Shane, it was truly an honor. Can we please have you on for a future episode? (laughs) Yes, I would love to. I would love to. I'm sad it's taken so long to do this. uh, And uh, I I would love to come back on and do some more of this. Thank you, Shane. Well, we hope that you have a great move, man. Enjoy yourself <laughs> and, you know, definitely stay safe and healthy, my brother. <laughs> you too. You too, man. Talk to him, man. Woo, man. Shane Snow was just a, a ball of energy. Man, today we had Steve Raider and the Shane Snow, the Steve Raider and the Shane Snow on the episode. Definitely check them out and all of the amazing work that they're doing and leading And to really, I mean, I'm still kind of just like mesmerized by everything that Shane just shared. I'm like, I feel like I feel like I have to reflect on all of that information. But if you really love this episode, please share with your network. Tag Shane, tag me, tag Mr. Steve Rader in what you learned, um, what you took away. And more importantly, how you're going to be applying some of this information to your life, given the current time that we're in. I think one of the most powerful takeaways that I got from Steve, you know, just talking with Steve was the fact that we are living in the future of work. It is now. And more importantly, that we all have this opportunity to take control of our careers with all of the different crowdsource models of work that are forming. And really with Shane, you know, how are you also in this new climate of work? How are you leading your life and building the team 
capacity around you to help you sustain in this new world of work. So definitely check out Dream Teams and check out Steve Ray and all the amazing work that they're doing. Want to show love to Raj, who was asking a ton of questions during the live conversation with Mr. Shane Snow. Raj asked, how to deal with individuals who take advantage of you at work and somebody who brings personal grudges at work. Also, how can we handle a situation when leaders would not take any action against someone demoralizing and pulling you to unhealthy situation? Is it worth to serve two weeks notice when workplace affect your mental health and mental health? And it can be explained when you are interviewing. Raj, I think these are really powerful questions, super powerful questions. And one of the greatest tips that I can share with you, and this is a tip that I've applied in my life and I've taken this advice in my life, is that whatever you're working in an unhealthy environment, it's not you, it's the environment, right? A lot of people leave companies not because they don't enjoy the work or they don't enjoy the culture of the company. It's really they just don't enjoy the environment or the people who are fostering the environment that was established. So if you want to avoid toxicity or if you want to handle those very kind of very, very challenging issues, such as the ones you deal with the toxic manager or toxic individuals, is that always keep your humility, always keep your, I believe, your respect intact, right? Never do something that would undermine your credibility as a leader. And more importantly, go through the proper loopholes within the organization, see if they work, see if they are effective, um, if you have trust in them. But if you ever find yourself continue to to get weakened or demoralized because of a toxic workplace, you have to eventually make this best decision of, should I continue to create a career here where I'm stagnating or should I find opportunities where I'm growing and find better environments that I may, maybe I can design myself or even more importantly, that can be created for me at a different organization, right? So Raj, think, think of it like that. It's like, if you cannot change your environment and Often, you know, certain environments you can't change, then see if you can sidestep that environment and create one for yourself or find one that's better suited to you, your values and how you want to grow in your career. And definitely check out some of Shane's work on how to handle, you know, that cognitive friction that we see in teams. And I think it's always best to handle it with professionalism, um, tact. And understanding that, you know, your credibility is intact as a leader, but always show up as a human and never do something that would degrade your credibility and your humanity. So that's my thoughts on that, Raj. Awesome question. And I'm sure Shane can chime in in the comments if he sees and watches this replay later on. Stefan says, exactly why Second City always so successful. Shout out to Shy City. Stefan, shout out to Shy City. We got to bring Shy City to Oakland. Let me know what I can do to bring Shy City to Oakland or bring you to Oakland so you can show love and bring that Shy City movement out here. With that said, thank y'all so much for tuning in to another live broadcast of Guide Live B2B Jam Session. Please let me know what you all are thinking about this episode. Let me get your feedback. Send me a DMs. Send me some love notes at utfow.com. We are the hottest, the hottest B2B live jam session in the world and in Oakland, California. And we are proud of that. And we are excited about the movement that we're building with guideapp.co. If you have not gotten access or haven't signed up for access for our early beta, please sign up for access. Guideapp.co, early access. Guideapp.co, early access. Join our movement. We have fantastic people who are part of our creator community. And I mean, we have some amazing people who are part of our movement in terms of just leading this with us. And we're excited to continue growing with our amazing community. 
Once again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Please check out guideapp.co, sign up for early access. And if you have thoughts on a future guest for a future episode, please let me know. Hit me up on my LinkedIn DMs. I literally respond to people's DMs and I love doing it. And then more importantly, if you want to support or sponsor us for a future episode, reach out to us at utfow.com. Let me know that you're interested in sponsoring and we'll see what we can make happen. All right, y'all. Thank y'all so much. It was truly an honor speaking with y'all today. And check out Shane Snow. Check out Shane Snow and check out Steve Raider and the movements that they are leading. All right, y'all. With that said, as always, peace, love, abundance, and happy Monday morning from Oakland, California. Peace.